I'm Andrew Sherman. I'm a Texas transplant who has always been in pursuit of art as a career. I've played in bands, pursued an acting career in Hollywood, but I found it behind the lens of a camera here in Dallas, Texas. I was born in New York, I've lived in Chicago, Los Angeles, Austin, but I love Dallas. There's a magical artistic scene in Dallas that mostly goes unnoticed to the outside world. This podcast is focused on what makes it so special and the people who make it thrive artistically. If you don't live here, and even if you do, you might not have heard of them. This is the Dallas Famous Podcast. So who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all gone? Who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all with us? Yeah. Preston Jones may be from Oklahoma, but he's Dallas Famous now. Preston is a true journalist, covering the entertainment and music industry in DFW for a while now. Jones is an award-winning critic, writer, and editor. He was the pop music editor for the Fort Worth Telegram for 10 years and continues to cover the Dallas music scene for KXT, the Dallas Observer, and has been published in the New York Observer, Houston Chronicle, and Texas Monthly, to name a few. Preston has seen the newspaper industry completely change since he started, and he gives us some great perspective on that. We are back. We are with Preston Jones, author, I mean, writer, right? I mean, is that just writer? Is there more to it than writer? Uh, no, I think writer's pretty accurate. Yeah, author would imply that I've uh, written a book, which I haven't done. Okay. Um, but yeah, I've probably written the equivalent of a book <laughs> a couple times over. <laughs> right. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Are sure. you Texan? Nope. Oklahoma. You... Okay. Oh. Native. Yeah. Oh. I... <laughs> Stop recording. Um <laughs> Yeah, born uh, just outside Tulsa, grew up there, and then uh, migrated south, went to the University of Oklahoma for undergrad, and then worked at the Alt-Weekly in Oklahoma City, which is still there, incredibly, uh, the Oklahoma Gazette, for about five-ish years, uh, and then left the Gazette and moved to Fort Worth, and uh, was the pop music critic at the Star-Telegram for... (laughs) The Star-Telegram for about a decade and then left that and now do corporate communications as sort of my full-time job and then a bunch of freelance stuff kind of on the side. Okay, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, first question Sure. in all of that, what made you come to Texas? Did you come for that job or? Yep, I moved to Texas for the uh, Star-Telegram job. I had been, I sort of worked my way up. I studied journalism at the University of Oklahoma and I had written for the student paper there and done uh, kind of all sorts of feature stuff, music stuff, movie stuff, uh, books, whatever. And then uh, gotten an internship at the Alt Weekly, worked my way up and became the entertainment editor there. And there was really only uh, one other place to go, which was sort of the daily paper in Oklahoma City. And they didn't really have anywhere that I could go. And I wanted to kind of keep going down that entertainment road. So I looked around and this job had come open in Fort Worth. And so I just like, well, throw my head in. I don't know. Cause I was in my mid twenties then and, uh, got it and came down and just kind of dove in. And it was sort of, it feels like the olden days to talk about it now, because when I came down here to Texas, there was a full art staff at the morning news. There was, you know, D magazine was going, the observer was going and I had grown up uh, in my teen years and when I was in college coming down to Dallas. And so like, I was aware of sort of like, you know, the observer, like Volonsky, all these guys, you know, Thor. And so uh, over time it just kind of became this slightly surreal thing where these people that I'd been reading 
I was then seeing it shows or seeing it stuff, you know, and so it was kind of a wild shift to go from, oh, I recognize that name to, oh, they know who I am kind of a thing. Right, right. But yeah, no, I came here for that job. Interesting. Okay. Well, so even back further, you know, what, how did you start writing? Like, what was your first, like when you were in, I don't know, high school, middle school, even where did you start? God, uh, I think there was a thing, it was elementary school, probably, honestly, this thing called Young Authors. And it was just sort of like a program that they had. And I thought, oh, that'd be interesting. And I sort of started there. And then on through school, there would be these creative writing things, you know, with the library or school or whatever. And so I would sort of do those as I went. In high school, actually, they started the Tulsa World had a a page called Satellite. And it was like a whole program, year-long program when I was a senior in high school where we'd go to weekly meetings. It was functionally like working for the newspaper as an, as an intern. And so I did some writing for that and then on through school and then into, you know, post post college. But yeah, it's just, it's writing something I've done for a long, long time. I, I mean, what, I mean, it was there a certain point where you're like, you know, this is something I could actually do for a living. I mean, do you remember that moment? Uh, yeah, I think what it was, uh, a friend of mine in high school, we had, before we were going to go to college, we were like massive film nerds because we were teenagers around the time of like when Tarantino, like all that stuff was happening. And so we would look at that and go, Oh, we want to do that. We want to go be those, you know, we're going to do that. We're going to go to California. Like went so far to look at school, filmmaking schools in California. We're going to go do that. And then he got interested in being in the Marines. And that was mm. not what I was interested in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so our paths kind of diverged a little bit. And so I had always been kind of along with uh, writing and being really passionate about movies. Like I'd read a lot of film criticism. And so at that point I started to think probably in my early mid high school, I was like, this maybe maybe is a thing maybe it's a job because i you know other people were doing it for a living so okay so that's when i sort of made the jump from okay it's going to be i'm going to go be a, a director or a screenwriter and shifted into writing and so i don't i've never kind of lost that interest in that but it just sort of became a way to participate in that without you know doing it directly so at this point you're saying i'm not going to go to uh, california Mm-mm. but I mean, you were there was obviously a passion with with the arts and with film. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, first of all, I'm kind of jealous that you were smart enough to pivot because I just went to Hollywood and <laughs> I mean, I had a lot of experiences. But. Smart or lazy, it's a fine distinction <laughs> <laughs> because it really was like it was something, and it's, you probably remember, like when you're, it's like it was just this all-consuming thing, you know, like mm-hmm. we were going to Blockbuster, we were reading, you know, all this stuff and watching this stuff, and we were just like fired up about it, and then almost that quick, I think, and that's a, a teenage thing too, on a dime, it was like, I'm gonna go be a Marine, and I'm just like, oh, wait, I thought we were, no, oh, okay, yeah. you know, that kind of a thing, and so it just sort of, it was a, a pivot out of necessity, because I was just like, I didn't want to necessarily go do it by myself. It was intriguing to me because there was somebody who was as passionate as I was Interesting. Okay. going with me to do it. And so then it kind of became a thing of like, well, I still want to have a hand in that. I still want to be in proximity to that. How can I do that? And then you sort of sat with it. It was like, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, and it wasn't a given for, you know, I, as I went to college thinking, I will see how this pans out. Like, I didn't know that I had like, a fallback <laughs> if I got there and I was like, well, this isn't going to work. And so a lot of it to this point has been luck, honestly, because it was just sort of 
right place, right time. You know, I was able to get better at what it was that I, th- as I kept doing it, was like, oh, I think, yeah, I do think I want to do that. I think this, I do like doing this. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to go see what jobs there are. You know, it's like it just kind of was a snowball thing. Right. Do you, and you started, like, with film reviews, or what did you start writing? Yeah, it was a film review. A film review is actually what got me the job at the Alt Weekly, because when I was an intern there, it was, uh, like, event stuff, like uh, working events and, you know, kind of, like, mm-hmm. just being there and so i had gone down to talk to the editor at the time and i was just like hey if there's ever anything you know like all right whatever it is because you're just trying to get foot in the door sure and so uh that and then the person who was kind of like the entertainment person then and i just kind of kept bugging them and so finally it was like well hey this is it was <laughs> i still remember little nicky this is uh-huh. how far back that was <laughs> uh was coming there like I, I, he couldn't do it. I would you mind going? I was like sure. So I went and wrote a review, and they ran it, and it was just like with that, they're like, okay, well, if you want to do more of this, da, 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 you know, and it was just sort of like that turned into. Then he got a job opportunity left, so that opened up, and it just kind of you know naturally happened that way. Right. God, so, it's like a, another era where you can make a living doing that. Well, and that's what's so wild now to sort of like think back on it is like I don't know that that would happen now. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, it's funny. I've backdoored into writing, but I know a lot of younger writers and friends of mine even, and they're just like, well, how do I get in? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And even if you do get in, like, I how do I have, stay there? Well, yeah. and I, well, and I hope you have a full-time job. Sure. And that's truly, I mean, I think I feel like in a lot of ways I was kind of the, that last wave of people where it was feasible to live off of doing just the one thing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I got in just before the internet really pulled all that stuff away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had people ask me, it's like, well, how, what was the practice? Like, what are you doing? How are you? I was like, it's just writing. It's truly just like, I spent four years writing for the college paper. After that, I was writing for a weekly paper so it's just you're just repetition yeah i'm just doing it and it's a lot harder to tell people to do that when there isn't really anywhere to do it <laughs> yeah i personally like i went because i started video editing it took me a lot longer to get good because i was like i don't know how to practice sure like, you can make stuff i mean now i can think of a million things to edit but you know back right. then i didn't know what i was doing right um, and, and, that, and that's true it's like with the writing i feel like you know you can get you can get like sort of a formula for different types of stories. And, you know, mm-hmm. for me, I'm starting to get a little bit burnt out on writing reviews for shows, partially because I'm like, I'm, I mean, I guess I see a lot of shows that people think I have opinions on stuff. And right. I do, but they don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't think that anybody should care about my opinions, <laughs> you know? That's a healthy attitude to have. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that's challenging about reviews, and it's like I've been, so I've been in Texas for all over 15 years at this point. And you're right. When you see a lot of shows, it's important to remember that there are people who go frequently, but just there's just as many people who might go to like one or two shows a year. Yeah, that show for them is going to be the greatest thing they've probably seen because they don't. The, the gap is so long between them seeing. For you, it's just you know there's only so many ways you can slice and dice a stadium or an arena or a club or a bar or a, a festival, whatever it is, and so it becomes harder to sort of feel that thrill of the new. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I find myself now at this point, you know, I don't, I review far fewer shows mm-hmm. <laughs> than I yeah. once did. Yeah. Like even, you know, I think I've been writing for the observer, uh, I guess a little over five years, you know, and it's like, I didn't do my first show review for them this year until like April. 
which is kind of late in the year. But like, I just, it's, it's, you find yourself seeking out like events or like one-offs or these exclusive things. Cause like, that's the only way you can kind of get to that because that's, I, I feel from my perspective, the only way you can find anything new to say is to find yourself in that new kind of experience, you know, right. cause it's like, it, otherwise it's just, it's the same old, same old. And yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I'm not a writer, so you have an advantage because for <laughs> you, you can, well, Hey, you're better at it, but like <laughs> you, you can, you know, you can interview somebody, you can do the pre-show coverage. Like for me, there's not, I mean, there's a lot of avenues. Like for me, sure. it's like I, I, most of the times the like you're not, if you were doing an interview, the person's not in town, so I can't take photos of them. Sure. So, you know, if I'm not shooting the show, what am I doing? But for right. you, you have other avenues. Yeah, a little bit. And I think even now, because things have contracted so much, you know, when I was first starting at Star Telegram, you could look around, you could kind of get like a flavor of the tour. Are they doing press? Is it opening up? Because you could look at sort of see the other outlets and mm-hmm. across the tour, you know, like, but now there's a lot of times where, you know, you'll cover a show, I'll cover a show and we're the only review for like, you know, four or five dates on either side of ours. Right. Because there's just no where else covering. <laughs> yeah. No, I was at Les Claypool last night. I was the only one covering yeah. it. When I started the year, I started in 2007, I would go to shows and it would be a minimum of four writers in the row. Mm-hmm. Sometimes five. Right. Because I would be there. Observer would be there. DMN would be there. Sometimes D Magazine, but then it'd be like, uh, you know, Buddy Magazine or one of the other kind of satellite publications that are housed here because there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And, and now, oftentimes, I'll be the only one there. Yeah. And it's more often than not, it's it's, it's startling when there's another writer <laughs> right. in the press row right. because I mean, they're it, just never there. Yeah. I mean, we had a couple empty seats in our row, but the other thing that's always weird for me is when I'm the only shooter, it's like mm-hmm. somebody has to come meet me and they're like, hi, well, you're an adult. You can follow the It's awesome for me because I can kind of. Right. Be on my own, but um, yeah, no, it was just like a pit full of. I mean, it was just, it's just so wild now that it's like it's yeah. down to the house photographer and right, maybe and, somebody else. And I'll be honest, <laughs> I've been running into this thing where certain venues don't even want to cover their own shows anymore, mm-hmm. you know, so there's like that's not even there. And it's just, I think it's, it's sad because there's a loss there of just sort of the, and I it's, I think it's something people take for granted, sort of that documentation of a moment in time, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I think about when Tina Turner just died, you know, it's like she, she played here in 2008. And, you know, there are records of that performance. I'm sure there's going to be people that come through now, similar stature, you know, and it's like, will there be a record of that? Right. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way. Sometimes I feel the pressure of like, like I, if I don't go, nobody's going to cover this more local stuff than the big stuff. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's both truly. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of shows where it's like, I know I'm, I care about this more than most people do probably, but it's important to me that to go cover this, you know, it's like, uh, the Lyle Lovett show. Mm hmm. I think people take for granted. I mean, he's here all the time. Okay, sure. But like, look at the context of what he was doing. It was three nights. It was a thing. He'd done it before. That was unlike a lot of the Lyle shows I've seen because of the length of it, because of what he did during it. And so it's like, it's easy. And I think you do get spoiled living somewhere like Dallas and Fort Worth where, you know, you're privy to a lot of things. And that's something I think I brought with me like growing up where I did. I never, I mean... I could count on probably one hand the number of shows that I had seen prior to moving 
down mm-hmm. to Dallas because stuff you just get passed over. It's not the case now, but like growing up, it was just live music wasn't something that I had any sort of proximity to. Right. And so I've tried to never take that for granted. You know, even if it's somebody you've seen umpteen times, you just never know. And that's kind of the whole thing is like, you got to be there. To sure. See it. Do you have a favorite, like, like do you prefer doing a music kind of coverage to a film coverage? Uh, I mean, most of what I've done for the last several years, I don't, I mean, there's the odd film story every now and again. I, I find because I write about music so much and I don't know if it's this way for you, like it kind of becomes a reflexive thing where you sort of know going in, Oh, I got to keep an eye out for, but, 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 you know, that kind of a thing. Whereas, uh, film can be a little trickier or, or books or food or whatever else it is where you're sort of like, did I touch on everything? Like you just sort of, it's automatic for one and you have to stop and think about it for the other. Mm. And so I feel like I kind of music is just, I don't want to say easy, but it's just, it's comfortable for me. And I kind of know what it is I need to get to, to hit, to make sure that I've kind of given the reader a sense of whatever it is I'm writing about versus, and it's not always the case with other stuff. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you, I mean, have you had any like kind of like wild, interesting interview situations or? Um, I mean, the one that springs to mind isn't, no one's going to know who it is. So. <laughs> uh, well, <that's- laughs> I, uh, this was probably, uh, 2000, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, somewhere in there. This is American Idol related. Um, there was a contestant named, uh, Michael Johns. He's passed away a few years ago. And I had written a thing. We had a Friday tabloid section in the paper and these little thumbnail blurb things. And in that blurb, I had called him a poor man's Michael Hutchins. (laughs) Thought I was clever. Mm -hmm. And they were doing press. And this was back when American Idol was like touring. I forget like the top five or six people around. And so this was at American Airlines Center. And I'm sitting there and it was whatever year David Cook won. And that's the only reason I remember this is because of what happened is they were doing this round robin thing where everybody was sitting at different tables and they're bringing different people around. And, and so David cook came over and like, I'd never met the guy. I don't have any connection to him. And he was just like really frosty the whole, we were like five minutes and I was just kind of like, okay. Like he wasn't, he was going to like one word answers and just like, it was evident that something was off. And uh-huh. so I'm just kind of like, uh, okay. Uh, well, you know, and so, and he just was kind of glaring at me and I was like, okay. And so about that time, this Michael Johns guy come, cause he was one of the finalists and he sits down and he just looks at me again. I don't know the guy and I'm staring at him and I'm just kind of like, okay, so I guess my first question, he goes, and I want to say something to you before we start. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, this is very strange because these are pretty controlled things, you know? And he goes, you made my mother-in-law cry. And I'm like, What? Uh, and I'm like completely stuck. Cause like I have, you know, questions I'm trying to get thing. Like we're on time and all this stuff. And I'm just uh, like, what are you talking? How, what did, what, what? And so it turns out his wife was from Fort worth and like graduated from TCU and their family is there. And so they had read that in the paper and she had like <laughs> called him upset that they had said that about him in the paper and that and he was pissed off. Why is it so insulting though? I don't get it. 
I didn't get it either. I never understood. And I think it was just because Australia is like, you thought it was reductive or something, but anyway, it was just like the most awkward thing. And so like, and none of the publicity people that were like with, no one knew what was going on. So I guess he'd just been like sitting with this anger. Uh, and so oh all the other conversations at all the other tables are stopping because it's evident that he's like mad at me. And so I'm just sitting there and like, I don't know what to do. Cause I'm just like, well, I wrote it. It's there. So it's not like I can deny it. You know, it's like, I, yeah. yep, that's me. And I was just like, well, I'm sorry I hurt your mother-in-law's feelings. And then he just got up and walked off. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I would kill to be a poor man's Michael Hutchins. I love In Excess. Just, yeah. But, I mean, but, I thought it was like, it's like, it's kind of a sideways compliment, but like, you well, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that it's not a direct compliment. And maybe, maybe it was the poor man thing. I think the poor man is probably what upset him but more than the Michael Hutchins. That's yeah. just interesting. Mm-hmm. I, that, that, you know, that that brings up a good topic to me because this has happened to me on like a smaller scale but like getting we live in this world where as a journalist you have to be careful you know you almost can't share what you're feeling sometimes out of well i mean well that's the question do you or don't yes and no i think there's a way and i think it's something that i this is like kind of like with time comes wisdom kind of a thing Uh writers that are younger in their 20s you've often feel like you have nothing to lose by just sort of saying whatever comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Burn the bridge, take the swing, whatever you want to do. I know I've been clearly, (laughs) (laughs) even if you don't feel like it's taking a swing. And and I think as you, if you're fortunate enough to do this for a long enough time, you begin to see the impact that your words have on people Mm -hmm. because you can't control how someone receives whatever it is you're saying. I've had people that were upset with me for what I thought were like glowing, gushing, raving reviews Mm -hmm. and whatever it was that they pulled out of that just didn't sit right with them. And they were just sort of like, "Mm," you know, and so over time I've learned to kind of calibrate that a little bit. And it's like, you start to kind of pick your battles a little bit. Some people don't, some people go their whole (laughs) writing careers with, you know, blowtorch at the ready. But I feel like it's one of those things, especially now I think with like, you know, the rise of social media and the sort of that immediate feedback you didn't always get earlier on in my career, you really have to pick your battles. It's like, do I, do I want to spend, you know, two, three days getting yelled at for this? Do I want to have this dragged up every time it comes up? You know, like mm-hmm. you learn to sort of be a little bit more selective. There are some things where it's evident you need to say something. And then there's some things where it's like, well, that would amuse me, but it might not land how I want it to, you know, so like you just sort of learn to navigate that a little bit better, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it with time because I'm not trying to be clever um, when I write stuff. I mean, to be honest, sometimes I'm just doing it because I have to in a way, yeah. you know, or, or it's a band that I really want to shoot, but I don't really know that much about them. Mm. So it's a whole homework assignment, basically. Sure. And uh, man, I have gotten some people angry without trying or without even you know i don't know it's it's interesting um uh and also sometimes we don't write our own headlines i think that needs to be <laughs> <Yeah>. stated <laughs> it's an important distinction <laughs> the headline is not always yours yeah I've gotten... well, like i'm thinking like there was the hootie and the blowfish review i did for the observer i don't know three or four years ago and they had named the tour for the uh name of the bar where they had like cut their teeth which i don't know how you would know that unless you're like a 
huge hooting the blowfish fan right i had taken it as like more of a metaphor or something else whatever and like and i had people yelling at me about that i was like well how could you not possibly and it's like i think that's a big mistake a lot of people make, or a big assumption a lot of people make is that you're coming to that show loaded with every possible fact you could ever oh, have about yeah. that you know it's like you're just a walking encyclopedia and it's like i think if it's, uh, some people do their homework not everyone does their homework some people just like oh surprise me but i think you're always better served especially if you're you know writing for publication try to get uh, try to soak up as much as you reasonably can i don't mm-hmm. think you need to like know them backwards and forwards but like it makes for a better end product if you sort of do your homework a little bit yeah i mean uh, again i've found that doing your homework uh well what i learned about myself is that i'm not a really good fact checker <laughs> so like i think i'm doing my homework and then i'm like using bad sources uh yeah like there's that setlist fm site that like, yeah they'll like i'll they'll change the titles of the songs over and over and over yeah, and yeah. it's just like mm, not it's a guide <laughs> it's a guide right and you know um but uh yeah it's just interesting um so so i did see too that when you were at the fort worth telegraph mm-hmm. that you is it telegraph right Star Telegram. Telegram. Yep. Oh, yeah. A telegraph would not really be a good <laughs> paper. Just... I mean, I think it may have started the Telegram. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I guess you got a couple of awards over there? Oh, yeah. I got uh, a couple of state awards for writing uh, for criticism. Yeah. <laughs> that's really comment cool. and criticism yeah i mean a lot of people are like well you know what what does your opinion have to do anything i was like well i'm an award-winning critic i, I don't know it feels I, like a really douchey thing to be like well no i've won awards for this yeah no well i i brought it up but i think it's cool i mean if i would possibly have a card that said that just pull that out well time. and i think that it kind of gets at a thing you know again going back to the idea of like social media like everybody I've, I've done this long enough now to sort of see where, you know, well, my opinion is just as valid as anybody else's when it comes to the people that are paying to see these shows or the people that are fans of the bands or mm-hmm. the artists or whatever. And it's like, it's, they're not wrong. It's just, I think there's a difference between an informed opinion, which is what I kind of feel like critics, reviewers, writers should be bringing to the table versus just sort of the unabashed, you know, yeah. raving fan perspective which is yeah. not not valuable but it's, it's not the same thing as an informed opinion. well yeah and what's funny about that is i won't name the band or the person but really i reviewed a band mm. and it was one of my good friends favorite bands mm. and i was like oh, i have an ace in the hole in this one and i didn't know anything about the band sure and i was like all right i'm gonna get all this information from him and he's <laughs> such a super fan that like none of the things he was telling me were like it was like so insular right like, i was like i don't I'm going to sound like a raving lunatic. if I Well, no, I couldn't even understand. I couldn't decipher it for myself. Right. And I was like, I can't even understand how to put what you said into my own <laughs> words, you know? So, um, yeah, the super fans are, honestly, I feel like if the super fans don't give me crap about a review, I did a good job. That's the way I look yeah, at that. Yeah. And I think it's the thing too, is, you know, another thing that you have to contend with is like, it's impossible. It's, it's difficult to be objective in those settings. Right. Like, mm-hmm. because, I don't think, or at least nobody I've ever encountered, no one actively goes to a show hoping it's going to be a bad time. Like anybody that's walking into any sort of performance, whatever the scale of it, you're hoping to have a good time. And so I think that's the big misconception about critics is that you're actively going in like, I'm going to tear this to pieces. Yeah. You're wanting to go have a good time. Things may happen that cause it to not be a good time. And then that ends up becoming your review. But I think the ones that are the hardest for me anyway, is like when you go to see people like I've seen the Mavericks just off the top of my head probably a dozen times 
it's harder to review those shows because you bring mm-hmm. so much of your own love of what they do, knowledge of what they do. You, you're paying way more attention to it than to go see someone that you may not have any awareness of. Sure. Well, know. for me, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a deadhead. So there's all these bands in the community and sure. so I feel this extra pressure of all of my friends or all of the people that know who I am. I'm like, I, if I mess this up, all the people that I respect, I'm going to hear about it. Yeah. yeah. Like, but from people that I care about, <laughs> sure. You know? Um, but yeah, my dad actually was a theater critic you know, outside of Chicago okay. in Indiana. Yeah. And you know, his whole thing was community theater was where he was mostly covering. I mean, we do the big plays in Chicago, but, um, He's like, I'm, my job is to put people in the theater, not to keep them from going. Right. And I mean, that's like a bigger conversation in Dallas with like people going to concerts. I mm-hmm. mean, this show I went to last night was amazing. The whole front row was empty. Yeah. You know, the entire front row was empty. And I don't, I mean, that's something, that's a, a, a conversation argument of that's been going on for as long as I've been. Like when I first got here, Deep Ellum was like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do about that. And then Deep mm-hmm. Ellum revived itself. And now we're kind of back in that period of, oh, I don't know what we're going to do about it. Mm-hmm. So it's just this cycle, you know, and I think arguably there's more venues now active than when I first got here. And at kind of all levels, like you sort of got mm-hmm. from the 250 cap room all the way up to, you know, AT&T Stadium. Yeah, there's a lot of... And so there's an ecosystem in place that wasn't there a decade ago. And so it's now possible for a band to, if they want to climb the ladder or if they want to leave town and come back and like you see kind of, there's many ways to get to that. But I think the piece of it that's just never been figured out is that from my perspective, a lot of people treat live music, not all, but a lot as a uh, background noise. Hmm. They they treat it as something that's incidental to whatever it is they're doing, whether that's on a date, hanging out with friends, having a drink, eating dinner, whatever it is. And you see that a lot of times in the behavior of these shows. You know, and these are shows where you're sitting in sections where tickets are two and three and four and five hundred, like you know, crazy amounts of money. You would think if I were paying that, I think I would be paying attention to what's happening in front of me mm-hmm. and not how was your day. You know, sure, four songs in. And so I think that behavior is just, I don't know. I think it's, it's just always been there. And I think that's a big part of why Dallas is very attracted by the shiny and the new and taking a chance on a band. They don't know they, you see it a lot. People waiting. It's like, Oh, well, so-and-so signed off on this or they were on X and Y show, or it was in a movie or they, somebody wrote about them or whatever. It's okay. I can go now, you know? And so we're missing that kind of, yeah. piece of people like just going to go and just you don't know you know it's like leon bridges is great like all these people that have come along these last few years like maren morris was playing around in bars to five people you know couldn't get arrested and now you know we're mm-hmm. selling out well but i mean I, rooms. I find too i it just dallas is interesting because some of these bigger bands that come here you know and i'm looking i'm keeping track of like the shows in austin and oklahoma city i know photographers in both the cities so i can see the crowds and man we have so many shows here like roxy music was like they had like sections like blacked out in there mm-hmm. i've never even seen that before at a, at a big show oh yeah no that i mean that happens and i think the thing you see is like Oklahoma City is sort of really embracing the fact that they're a destination now for bands because they they have also finally got the infrastructure in place where they can have sort of a range of shows. Austin, I think, is a different situation because they've always kind of had that 
reverence for it. They've had more of a contraction, I would argue, you know, instead of yeah. an expansion. Oh yeah. And so, but like that core, like this just, you know, it's like going to Nashville or going to Chicago or going to like the places where there's like live music is a thing. And it's like, it's an option in Dallas. It's not the option. You mm-hmm. know, we've got sports, we've got shopping, we've got eating, we've got all these other things people can do with their time. And I just think a lot of times I get the sense that these shows come, people flip out, they buy tickets and then the show comes and they're like, eh, let's just go to dinner. Or it's so weird to me. <laughs> let's go to a movie. I mean, I, cause I lived in LA and that's a whole other animal, but like Chicago yeah. area, it just seemed like every decent show I went to was full. Mm-hmm. Like every decent show. And some of that too is a function of the fact that the places people can find out about these shows because something I know I've heard a lot more in the last five years is like, oh, I had no idea they were here. I had no idea they were well, coming. I hear that too. And I mean, I'm addicted to Facebook, but like this, again, I'll bring up this Les Claypool show. Like if, if I was just, if I didn't know about algorithms, I would assume that that was the biggest show of the year mm-hmm. based on the advertising. Sure. But it's because they didn't have enough tickets sold. They were blasting it. They were blasting it. Yeah. You know, and like my girlfriend of the same, she was like, God, this is like, we have to go to this. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess we do. And Facebook told us to. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, we fell victim to it. And so maybe it's just that people, like, if they're not on Facebook or the algorithm's not showing, but I'm just, it just, it happens over and over and over to me. Yeah. It does. And I just think, and, you know, you see that, that contraction in the the publications, the, the things people are aware of. Just, Maybe that's it. It just diminished. I mean, it's not, I, you heard it still, but maybe you heard it less often, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 10, 15 years ago. But like, you, you look at right now, active, you know, the DMN's art staff is a skeleton. They don't have any sort of full time critics on staff, mm-hmm. the observer, and they're, they've got staff and it's an army of freelancers and they're they're doing a pretty good job but you've got things i know like central track people were really passionate about but that went by the wayside yeah i mean i think it's still in limbo it could still come back to life but but it's i mean i don't know life support (laughs) yeah yeah but you know it's just like all these things and it's like i you've i've been here long enough to see kind of watch this next generation come up and it's a lot of the same complaints well no one writes about anything that i care about Mm -hmm. and so everybody kind of gets driven into these uh silos and there's no like one place you can really go with a few exceptions to sort of have any sense of like (laughs) what's coming what should i be aware of what should i know about Mm. and it's just like i think it's a really important piece and that's why i'm glad that what is still there is still there like you know the fact that the observer even has show reviews Mm -hmm. (laughs) true no it's true is you know it's like because you just that's just, it's a thing that I, I feel should exist. You know, like I just, I, if that goes away, I think we're going to be exponentially poorer for it because you just, you never know. And I think it's like, you know, you, you go to a, a museum or you go to a movie, or you go to a, a show, like you never know what's going to spark somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not going to be so <laughs> grandiose to say it might be somebody reading a review somewhere else or whatever. Like, oh, that's what I, you know, but like, you just don't know because that's the nature of the art, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, I think to lose, uh, the ability to kind of reflect on that because it is a part of the cultural life of the city. You know, those shows go on whether anyone documents them or not, but like, I think there's some value in that. And I think if people, want to know they need to engage with that and like take a chance and and go to these shows and not just sort of, you know, 
watch yeah. it go by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and you use it or lose it. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, what What do we got in the future for you? Uh, I mean, I'm uh, regularly contributing to KXT. Uh, myself and and Jessica Waffles are kind of uh, tag teaming music yeah. coverage there. Um, doing some stuff for the Observer here and there. Uh, contributing to Oklahoma Today. You know, ever, ever any thoughts about going back to your original dreams, maybe like writing a screenplay or something, short stories? or? You know? Uh, you know, honestly, I. it's funny. As I've gotten older, I feel like that I'm almost... It's, it's not that it's gone away. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think everybody who ever writes for any length of time has a moment where they're like, you know, I should sit down and... Hmm write something and uh i don't know maybe someday i'd never say never but it's not like i don't think the urgency is there like it was before because it's having done this for as long as i've done it you sort of you put a little bit of yourself into the stuff that you're doing hopefully Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so it kind of becomes like this sort of ongoing thing where it's just sort of like you know you process life stuff through thing like you find yourself working through things or you know like digging into stuff or like well i wonder about this trend or whatever with it so it kind of becomes a sort of ongoing dialogue you know and it's sort of for me anyway i mean there are people that may have you know novels tucked away inside of them but it just sort of <laughs> it feels like this sort of ongoing thing it's just a kind of chip away at you know it's like well at the next review maybe i'll get into i don't know you know, yeah that kind yeah of thing. i care that I'm a, let's end with uh do you have like a moment or like a like your like a favorite show or favorite interview or piece that you're extra proud of <sighs> extra proud of. uh yes when i this is in 2010 so it's a while ago I flew to Manhattan and got to uh, spend about uh, two hours, I guess it was, all together with uh, Ornette Coleman Ooh. at his apartment. Wow. And that was for his 80th birthday. They sent me, it was in uh, February of 2010, because his birthday's in, in the spring. And uh, I had made the pitch because nobody had ever, you know, you can talk about like <laughs> the history of a place, just, like all these fantastic people that, you know, have come from Dallas, from Denton and Fort Worth. And he was from Fort Worth and I hadn't done anything on him in some time. And I said, I should go to New York. And like, you know, he's, he's open to it. I had found his cousin who was his manager and his manager's like, Oh, he'd love to do it. And so I had done all this research and I'd talked to people and like did crash courses, records, all this stuff. And it's like, you know, over prepare <laughs> right. to go and uh i sit down to talk to him and it was just the two of us on this like he had this huge loft in the garment district and we were just off in this corner talking and he's like it's very soft spoken like i had to kind of lean forward to hear what he was saying and i would ask him questions because i had sort of like okay i'm gonna i gamed it all out you know came in armed and like 10 minutes in I was just like I'm just gonna have to hang on for the ride here because I don't know it was just like these convoluted things he's talking about standing on the tips of pyramids and being in the womb and all these things and it was just sort of like well I want to talk about the early days in Fort Worth you know it was just like we were off off in space and it was absolutely fascinating conversation it was one of those where it's like I can still remember how I felt uh going when I left I was sort of standing on the sidewalk outside of his apartment 
And I was just like, my first thought was like, I don't know how the hell I'm going to make this <laughs> into anything anyone can read <laughs> because I had, you know, like an hour and change of quotes and I just was like, what am I going to do? Oh, man. <laughs> and so like I came home and I talked to some of his bandmates and his uh, girlfriend at the time was there. So I talked to her as well. And it's so, like, I had all these other people and stuff and it was just the end result. I'm really proud of it because I just took something that I just, there was no way in my brain immediately after it where I was like, this is going to make any sense. And I ended up being a story that I had people like years afterward that would come and, you know, thank me for writing and they really appreciate it. And he was really happy with it. And we'd send him like this, uh, printout of the thing. Cause it was a Sunday story. So it was like this big, you know, thing on the front page oh, of the nice. paper in the art section. And it was just, I've never forgotten, you know, just that feeling of, okay, I, I wrestled that one. I got that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And it was just, it was incredible, but nice. he was, uh, he was one of a kind. Yeah, he was. I I had the privilege of seeing him play like one song at a dead show in LA. He jumped on stage. Yeah. But uh, anyway, hey, Preston, thanks so much for coming over yeah. and uh, talking with me for a bit. We will look forward to many more articles from all the different places. And Yeah, uh, thanks yeah. for having me. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, Preston Jones. Theme song, Unstoppable by Salim Nirala. You can listen to the Dallas Famous Podcast every week on Deep LM Radio, Sundays and Tuesdays at 1 p.m., and then again on all the podcast places. Thanks again for tuning in.